Remember the discussion we had before with Mr. Kentley? Yes. Remember we said the lives of inferior beings are unimportant? Remember we said that moral concepts of good and evil and, and right and wrong don't hold for the intellectually superior? Yes, I remember. Well, that's all we've done. That's all Philip and I have done. He and I have lived what you and I have talked. Brandon, there must have been something deep inside you from the very start that let you do this thing. But there's always been something deep inside me that would never let me do it. And would never let me be a party to it now. What do you mean? I mean that tonight you've made me ashamed of every concept I ever had of superior or inferior beings. And I thank you for that shame. Because now I know that we are each of us a separate human being, Brandon. By what right do you dare say that there's a superior few to which you belong? And welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Fear of God podcast, your favorite podcast that centers on things related to Christianity and the horror genre. It is a vast open field that Blake Collier is deeply scared of. Um, the Fear of God podcast, we are with you every week talking about scary movies with sort of a bit of a faith flavor to them. With you right now is Nathan Rouse, one of your standard hosts co-hosts uh guy who talks into a mic typically with me is just longtime peer at this point relatively decent amount of time podcast host co co-podcast host podcast co-host however we want to say that but he did say something about needing to go strangle some chickens so i'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and just trust that that is i don't know he you know he did grow up in rural north carolina so maybe there's some agricultural kind of backdrop thing i'm not really thinking of while he is off doing that though while he's off doing that uh just to let you guys know if you're new to the podcast welcome i know we do have some new folks or at least some unfamiliar names on the facebook group lately just to clue you in we are on facebook via a page we are on facebook via a group um, we are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. I would ask a simple favor that if you have not done this before, go subscribe to us on iTunes. Go leave us a rating or a review. This is how we are able to bring you such a high production podcast such as we are with excellent sound design um, by our producer, Lead Racky. And... <laughs> I'm so stupid. 
Reed, you're back. You have got you got feathers on you, buddy. You doing okay? You <laughs> Oh, you've got a friend with you. Is that chicken? Is that is that chicken boo? Oh my God. Get ready because this is going to be the entire conversation now. It's just no, I'm just going to squawk back at you. That's all. That's yeah. All, all right. Yep. Sweet. I can. I mean, that's kind of what I hear when you talk anyway. So oh, it's wow. really just. <laughs> I see. I see really how attentive just, uh, you are to uh, getting my name correctly. So uh, you know. <laughs> no, that was that's somebody else. That was our producer. That was a oh, different sure. person. Sure. That was the joke. That was the joke, Reed. That we have right, right, a lot right. of staff that produce our show. You know, lead you, rack. You just you just bungled the joke. <laughs> so, Reed, today we are. We, oh my God, um, you're gonna have to. You're going to have to strangle that thing. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> um, we are back, Reed. Yes. We are, we are back in the thick of things with our uh, uh, second in a row. Yes. Like, this is new, ter- this is new territory for us like, this year. We've got some catching up to do is the thing. Yes. We do. So we are back with our second in a row of hashtag Hitchcock block of episodes. Hitchcock block of you know, podcasts, just Hitchcock block, you know, it's, it's whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, Alfred letters. Like we are, we love titles here. Um, at, <laughs> the, fear, at, the, at the, at the fear of God, it's, is it Johnny? Is it Scotty? Is it Madeline? Is it wow. Carlotta? Is it, uh, Judy? You know, everything, everything goes here at the fear of God. We are back in it with Alfred Hitchcock, but before we get there, read. Yes. Are you ready for some Mortal Kombat? Uh, so Reed, we are we, we are back into the month. I am enjoying oh, these boy. episodes. Um, this is. So uh, I didn't realize how much fun this sort of monster match thing would be. I would have wrestled this away from you about three weeks ago. Wow! Um, wow! We are back with the monster match, Reed. We okay, are trucking we through. We are trucking through the icons of horror this summer, um, leading up to. I can't believe it. You probably can't believe it. Our hundredth episode is on the horizon oh my god it gosh. is not oh my gosh it's like seven weeks away that's yeah, yes yes it's less than two months away everybody less than two months away. i'm not i'm not ready for that i need it to kind of slow down my kids, are, <laughs> my kids are getting too big i've got too much to do on this house like i need time to slow down so we are jumping <laughs> jumping back into the monster mash it's a grand old smash um what do you have for us riri so Do you have a category uh, to break down? Yeah, so so we are going to be uh, breaking down now the winners, your voted on winners from the slashers category. Now I will say, uh, as with last week, you know, last week with the monsters, uh, there were some landslide winners. 
all of the slashers, I'll just go ahead and tell you, all of the slashers were landslides. The losers in the slashers category managed to get very, very few votes. Very few votes. Um, so uh, this w- was somewhat of a surprise to me. The spirits category, which we will also be revealing, um, was a much tighter, uh, closer race, like with the humans where the winners only won by maybe 50 to 60 percent of the vote it was pretty even all the way down the line but the slashers boy uh fans are very serious and very rabid about the ones that they love in the slashers category so uh nathan why don't you uh uh, as you so deftly did with the humans last week why don't you break down the slasher winners for us and uh tell us break it down the slashers oh here we go you ready Uh, you ready i don't think i'm ready but go ahead y'all ready for this so you gotta get the crowd you gotta get the crowd going you know um so we are (laughs) we are discussing i am gonna break it down for y'all people the slasher category this is this is round what two of slashers this This is is round yeah this will be the winners of the first round going into the second round so the breakdowns for this installment of the slasher category featuring mano and mano Femano, Femano, you know, if there are any of those in here, I don't think they are. They don't think there are. This is a very sexist list. But first pairing, it is Michael. He's coming back this fall. Myers versus not to be confused with the Wu-Tang Clan member Ghostface. Oh, my and the gosh. And the winner in this category is Jamie Lee Curtis's Is He or Isn't He Brother Michael Myers. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Next pairing is going to be the one and only Mr. Freddie Highmore versus you know him, you love him, every Muppet's favorite friend, Jason Siegel. And yes, Freddie versus Jason. It is Freddie Highmore versus Jason Siegel. This is a the winner of this category is Jason. He's not a man. He's a Muppet. All right. Next category is. Is that Mr. is Jason Voorhees, by the way. Just in case I know that. I know that. I'm just keeping everybody on their toes mm-hmm. versus Freddy Krueger versus Jason Voorhees. It's just more fun to say hi, Moore and Seagull, and the images that conjures <laughs> in the listener's head. Um, next category, or rather next pairing, is Mr. Loves' Grandpa Leatherface versus oh. he's not a bad... He's not a bad guy on 24 anymore. Jigsaw! Uh-oh! <laughs> <laughs> he loves those puzzles. Winner of this pairing, Leatherface. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Next pairing is, I couldn't come up with a good enough name for him, Candyman <laughs> versus the only Cenobite Nathan wouldn't eat, Pinhead. <laughs> All right. And and the winner of this category is Pinhead. I've actually Ta-ta-ta. never seen any of those movies. I really don't want to see any oh, of them. They're terrifying. Yeah, they're scary. Next pairing is little little guy. He hates it when you call him little guy. <laughs> Chucky versus Sam Malone. And unfortunately, wow. that bar that, that bar got closed down because <laughs> Chucky's like, uh-uh, Sam, you should have stayed with Diane. Um, oh my god. And then. Next, next, <laughs> next, we have American Psycho, oh. which is my Christian Bale, my Christian Bale Batman impression, versus <laughs> that guy who went after Jennifer Love Hewitt, and the winner of this category, American Psycho. Yes, yes, yes. Swear to me, he sounds. <laughs> 
He sounds more like the normal activity demon. Um, <laughs> next to last pairing is going to be the Mask of the Phantasm, which is a Batman reference, versus David S. Pumpkin's head. What? <laughs> the winner, Batman. Um, last category, <laughs> last, wow. last triple pairing. Is a triple pairing a thing? I don't think that's a real thing. Uh, the last trio <clears throat> is Creeper from the movie named Creeper versus Hitcher <laughs> from a hitchhiker story versus somebody named Leslie Vernon. I don't know these characters. Oh, the winner is Creeper. Goodness. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, the, so I'm going to come in with my little accounting ledger after it after the fight. No, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them. Oh, oh, so, okay. All right. So that means, everybody, that next week you've got Michael Myers versus Jason, not to be confused with Siegel Voorhees, <laughs> square, squaring off in the ring. Followed by that, you've got... He just really loves his grandpa Leatherface. He just wants to swing and dance with a chainsaw, Leatherface, versus Pinhead. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm running out of things to call him. <laughs> the, next to, the next to last match is Little Guy, is Chucky versus Christian Bale. Who's going to win? I don't know. You know. <laughs> Next to last is Batman versus the Creeper. You gotta stop it's calling really, it Batman. It's really not Batman. It's the Phantasm, which is from a movie called Phantasm, but I made it a Mask of the Phantasm joke, which is a Batman the Animated Series reference. Uh, oh so my I gosh. Called him, yes. So I called him Batman. So the last pairing is the Phantasm versus the Creeper. I don't know either of those characters, but hopefully you do, because you're going to decide, brother. <laughs> Snap into a Slim Jim. Oh gosh. I will say so so purely purely off the cuff commentary uh, that Tell me. the tall man from Phantasm versus Pumpkinhead that was the only uh-huh. in, in all of these in all of the voting of the entire Monster Mash that was really the only one that I was kind of saddened by because Pumpkinhead is a favorite of mine so I was sad to see the tall man uh, win that mashup but you know what listeners me too. decided you know me too. I was like oh man that was a I didn't see that turn coming. Yeah, I was like, "Wow!" I was, but I it was I'm, it was pretty overwhelming. Just, like, I'm just kidding. I don't I don't know who that is. I don't even know. By the way, the creeper from, is from is from Jeepers Creepers. Just in case you did not actually know, oh, that that's, okay. that that's where that's from. That's the monster from Jeepers Creepers. But uh, but yes, where'd so, you get those peepers? Uh, uh, you know? That is Maybe. a that song is in the film. Yeah, it is. I it, I would believe it. That's a that's low hanging fruit right there. Yep. So uh, so yeah. So that is the the reveal in the slash slashers category um Slasher. so now we have our results what's next read from do it the right. spirits category you all better right. do it right so You're, all right I, gonna, I personally know that your house is empty right now so you can kind of go a little crazy it actually isn't but so it's okay oh man that's no, all right oh well <laughs> i'm gonna do it my way okay <laughs> i'm gonna do it my way you do it your way i'm gonna do it my way matt my name's Reed, and this is your pairing. Do you really think that's how I do it? <laughs> my, <laughs> no, you go. You Okay, so these races, like the like the the humans, were very close. They were terribly, terribly close. All the winners were like fifty-two to fifty-five percent. Um, okay, so first up, we have Pazazu from The Exorcist going up against Black Philip from The Witch, and by ah. nose, uh, specifically by a hooked, broken-off nose, 
It is Pazazu from The Exorcist. Oh, uh, I'm disappointed in that return. Yeah, oh well. Black Phillip was was uh, beaten out. Uh, well, you'll be really. You probably won't be disappointed by this. I was very surprised. So we've got the Blair Witch going up against old Jimmy from It Follows. <laughs> if you've seen It Follows and you've not listened to our episode about it, you, then go listen to it and you'll understand because uh, the movie didn't call him that. We did and we win. So Jimmy from It Follows is going up against the Blair Witch. Dude, Jimmy totally took it. Totally, yeah? totally owned it. Yep. Attaboy, Jimmy. It from It Follows beat out the Blair Witch. Again, it was very, it was a very close race, but yes. Jimmy the walking STD. <laughs> um, so this one, uh, you know, since the votes are already in, I can go ahead and say who my favorites were and who I was betting on. But um, okay, so in Samara from The Ring versus the Babadook. Um, by please be a, Babadook. Please be Babadook. Please be Babadook. Very slim margin. Samara took it. The ring. Boo! Took it. Boo! I thought I liked our listeners. Uh, hey, I still do. I'm Come just on. But sort of. Yes. Kidding. But so Samara from the ring knocked out the Baba Duke. Um, oh so well. It was fun while it lasted. Oh. Better luck next time, Duke. Well, if that one makes you sad, this one's really gonna make you upset because oh, when no. Final Destination's Fate versus Death took on Beetlejuice, poor Beetlejuice didn't stand a chance. I mean, he did stand a chance. I it feel like I'm like race, losing but. so much, <laughs> so much respect for our listeners right now. Oh my gosh! But yeah, you fate, can't continue. Fate or death, as it were, beat out old uh, old Beetlejuice. So I should have I should have gotten the Russians to jump in on this voting because <laughs> Beetlejuice should win everything. Little, little for bots, all time. exactly. Um, so the Grim Reaper from the Seventh Seal took on the Devil from Rosemary's Baby, and the Devil took it. The Devil from Rosemary's Baby is the winner. Um, this one was a kind of a surprise to me, but I guess not not so much because we announced it during this episode. So the Demon from Paranormal Activity going up against Bagul. I don't know about you, but I find Bagul to be scarier. But the listeners did not because the Demon from Paranormal wow. Activity won. Um, and I well, sh- in their defense, they didn't get to listen to our revisionist version before they <laughs> voted, probably. So <laughs> or maybe it was. The revisionist version that pushed them to be, you know what? That guy needs some points. That guy yeah, needs to, yeah. And they, that guy needs hey to guys, um, so I'm it, cold. I need a blanket. Uh, I'm not totally surprised by this, but uh, they did put up a really good fight. The Ancient Ones versus Poltergeist. I'm not totally surprised to see this, but the Ancient Ones from Cabin in the Woods took it. They took the win by a nose, so they knocked out old Poltergeist. Um, So the Ancient Ones from Cabin in the Woods stand victorious. And in the final three-way mashup, everything else will be pairings, in the final three-way mashup of the Hill House Ghosts from the Haunting going up against the Headless Horseman of Sleepy Hollow versus Zool from Ghostbusters uh, in the only not close race whatsoever. Uh, Zool from Ghostbusters. There we go. Yes. Uh, that that mildly redeems the Beetlejuice <laughs> loss. But headless. See, my favorite in that race was Headless Horseman, and Headless Horseman got quite a showing. He got a lot of votes, but uh, Zool took it. Uh, pretty much, pretty much a landslide. Now, see, this is interesting. I know we, I, do, I really don't want to follow this path far, but see, I would have thought like Zool pop culturally, Beetlejuice would have hands down beaten the tar out of Samara. I actually, I'm not much, I've seen The Ring once, and I did not enjoy my viewing of it, so I wonder if, but now, I, now I'm still going to vote for Beetlejuice. I mean, like, you, yeah, could be, you, you, just, could, you love Beetlejuice, yeah. You true. could be like your favorite character ever versus Beetlejuice, and I'll be like, eh, 
yeah, maybe Beetlejuice. It was. It, I mean, it, it was really close. It was really close. I think the. You're just saying that to pass. I am me not. Now. No, uh, Samara won by like fifty two point nine percent. So yes, as a matter of fact, it was. Yeah, it was a very close race. Um, so yeah, all of these races were were extremely close. But those surveys to vote on this next uh, mashup, uh, which will be Zool versus the Ancient Ones and the Demon from Paranormal Activity versus the Devil from Rosemary's Baby and Fate or Death from Final Destination taking on Samara from The Ring and Jimmy from It Follows taking on The Exorcist, Pazazu specifically. So that mashup is on your feed. If, if you're not, if it's not on the feed as you're listening to this, it will be very shortly. So um, so those are what you voted on. Go vote to see who you want to advance in the next bracket. And that is uh, that concludes, puts into the banks this round of the Fear of God Monster Mash. Monster, monster, monster mash! It's getting pretty. It's it's getting pretty bloody out there, Riri. Well, you just wait till till we see who's gonna like who's gonna ultimately stand victorious over these pairings, and then go up against the cat when the categories collide. Is where I'm really should we do curious. should we do like you know how like sports people have their like uh, fantasy football and stuff? Should we do should we put money on it? Should we get our people our our listeners to put money on it and like wow you know, like take take their money? I think. From them? I mean, I think gambling's illegal, but we can try it. Well, it's not gambling with fantasy football. They've they've worked out some kind of loopholes, so we could just Ooh. jump on that bandwagon too. Send donations to uh Yeah. <laughs> if you vote you all of you who voted for Beetlejuice just lost five bucks. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. This, all right. This is already steep. I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, all right. I, mean, so, I don't have five dollars. I don't know. Pivot. <laughs> no, right, 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 right. It's it's feeling pretty bleak these days. I need this house to close. Um so pivoting out of the monster match and right into what you're watching so riri what are you watching what are you reading what do you listen to? I've got one. What do you got? Okay, so I've been spending a lot of time, thanks to uh, some Father's Day presents that I was very, very excited about. Um, I have been spending hey, a lot. Happy Father's Day. Oh, yeah, thanks. It was a couple weeks ago, but thanks so much, man. I appreciate well, it. Yeah. When this releases, it will have been. That's true. Now that we're recording, it's like three days ago. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, uh, but on Father's Day, I received uh, a bunch of adept film adaptations from old Uncle Stevie, Stephen King. Um, so I have been down a very uh, enjoyable and wonderful little rabbit hole, spending a lot of time reacquainting myself with Stephen King material. So my overall arching uh, sort of what you watch and read and listen to is I've been spending a lot of time, listeners who listen to a few episodes, episodes ago know that I just recently uh, finished The Outsider, his latest book as of this recording. So I finished The Outsider. And, and that adaptation that. has like Rob Lowe and stuff, right? Is that... Um, I'm not sure. I actually haven't seen the cast list for that. I I'm, know joking. That I'm joking. I'm oh. joking. I'm joking. I was making an Outsiders S.E. Hinton reference and it just went right over. That there. is really funny. Um, it did. You know why it did is because the Outsiders TV show was announced and I thought you were really being serious. And so. Oh, know, really? Yeah. No, I, I so, had no idea. No. But, uh, but it has been announced. And so, but I don't know who the cast is or who's. I'm really who's tempted because I honestly have no idea when I will get to reading the Outsider. I'm really tempted to know who the, who the guest star is. I'll spoil it for you right now if you want me to. If you really want me to, I will spoil it for you right now. Um, you have only say the word. Is it a well? I'll, I'll ask you a question. <laughs> okay. Is it is it, is it is it like a supernatural character? It's not a supernatural character. No. Okay, so it's like a real person. It's a real person. Yeah. 
is it related to Finders Keepers trilogy? I will. Okay, so I will say this in answering your question, um, listeners. Uh, go ahead and skip <laughs> ahead like five seconds if you don't want. <laughs> too to. late now. No, no, no. no. Um, but yeah, that's probably too late now. So, um, but sincerely, so the phone call that is made. Like uh, one of the investigators trying to solve the mystery at the heart of Outsider makes a phone call, and when they make that phone call, the other end of the line answers Finders Keepers, and one wow, and one Holly Gibney is in the whole that's, last half of the Outsider, and it's that's awesome. kind of cool. It's awesome. Well, what's funny about that is like I didn't know anything, but your reference the other week, I was like. I wonder if this is like Hodges related. Well, That's pretty cool. what's great about that is that now I can say in full in full bore that 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 actually it so in a way that I was totally not expecting the outsider becomes a kind of epilogue to the Hodges trilogy and is and is is wonderful. And That's Holly cool. Gibney is so great. Well, I don't, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> Y'all are going to be really pissed at us who are Stephen King readers right now. But like, I think what one of the biggest missed opportunities I think occurred with the Hodges trilogy was I think his character is so great that to have just finished it at a trilogy to me mm. felt like a kind of lost opportunity. So sure, it's kind of cool sure. that I there's some re- revisitation there regardless. Cool. So you're jumping into some Stephen King adaptation, some film adaptations. Yeah. Right? So, so yeah, just to wrap a bow on that. So uh, I got these two collections for father's day. They were newly released, relatively newly released. Uh, one of them I think had been released like, in early June, so very newly released, and the other one was just a few months ago. Uh, <clears throat> but in these collections were a total, in these two, like, modestly priced collections, there was a total of 13 Stephen King adaptations. And I was like, dang, they were great. It's like it had The Stand, The Langoliers, The Golden Years, uh, wow. Pet Cemetery, Silver Bullet, Graveyard Shift, uh, Secret Windows in it, Christine, directed by one John Carpenter, Stand By Me's in it. Uh, so, is yeah, so there were like 13 uh, films in these two disparate collections. And uh, so it's just it's just re-acclimated me to like, yeah, man, I love Stephen King. And some of these stories I've read a few times already, but I still want to go back and reread them and rewatch the movies and some of the movies aren't that great but they're still fun because i love stephen king and all this stuff so yeah it's it's yeah it's really great i'm I'm enjoying and loving uh it's a good time to be a stephen king fan right now as a matter of fact we've got castle rock like right on the horizon uh when does that do out july 25th is the premiere oh yeah, wow on hulu all right yeah so Sweet. it is yeah it's, it's just gonna be a couple weeks now so um i really hope I've got high hopes for that. Like, Me too. I, I don't really know much about it. And I don't mean that in the like, this better be good, but just in the like, no, this no. could be a really fun, you know, kind of walk through his sensibilities. I, I look Absolutely. That. Absolutely. Um, well, I have no King related. What you're watching, reading, listening to is what I do have is a Pixar related one. And that is, I did take my oldest children to go see the Incredibles too. Oh, so me did, too. I did do that. Um, you and I actually have not talked about this at all. No, no, uh, this is new. This is yeah. happening right now. You've been talking, so I'm going to do it for a second. But um, no, totally. <laughs> um, I really liked Incredibles 2. I would be very interested to watch it again. Hmm. Hmm. It was interesting. It was, there was an interesting experience that happened to me because I watched the first one with my oldest lead, the week leading up to the release of the second film. And kind of like almost like I referenced with Vertigo last week, I 
I had to kind of make myself plug into Incredibles 2 because part of me was really watching it with this objective eye. Like, you know, it's been 14 years since the first film. Sure. Have has it kind of earned its place or earned its existence in the ensuing time? But it was it was there was a fascinating thing that happened to me where the the animation has leapt mm. forward and mm. since the first one was released. And I, I this is an exaggeration, of course, but there's almost this sense where you go if like if you were to watch the first one and then immediately go watch the second one, it's almost like you're watching a cartoon and then you're watching the real people. And it was oh, a little wow. it was a little kind of jarring for like the first 10 minutes mm. where you're just watching the animation is so crisp and so lovely. But the but the facial animation and the characterizations of them physically was so distinct from sure. the original yeah. film. Yeah. I understand. But it took a, it took a little bit of like will willfully kind of setting that setting, setting my objectivity aside and just being like, okay, well I just need to right. plug in and sort right. of kind of go for the ride. Um, I will say overall, I really enjoyed it. I think of, of any Pixar property, the Incredibles lended itself most to sequel to a franchise. Sure. Um, I would not have necessarily in a first viewing thought Toy Story would. Toy Story 3, I think, is the finest of the three. I'm a little worried about a fourth one. Um, but Incredibles, as its concept, lends itself really well to serialization. Mm-hmm. Um, it is hard for me, and this is why I say I would welcome a second viewing just to kind of set some of these critiques aside so that I could really enmesh myself in it. Objectively speaking, it is difficult to watch Incredibles 2 and not think, this is really good. I wish we'd gotten this 10 years ago because the glut of superhero movies in the ensuing years Mm. has tarnished the specialness a little bit of Mm. what I think this is after. Sure. Um, That said, Incredibles 2 was incredibly fun. Sure. And in places hysterical. I think there's a really interesting thematic conversation to the first one that the second one doesn't quite get to. Hmm. Um, but again, this, these are all just kind of initial thoughts. I haven't really unpacked this with anybody. You and I haven't talked about it since you've watched it. I'd be curious what your takeaway was from Incredibles too. So I don't really disagree with anything you've said. The, um, I will say that I, that the most interesting moments in Incredibles two to me, were the ones of Mr. Incredible at home with the kids trying oh, to great. trying to be great. and and I feel like uh, if you want to call it like a missed opportunity, like okay, here's my overarching sort of nugget review. I have I have really no complaints with the film that we get. I really have no complaints with it, but I think that there are some possibilities that they could have dug their feet into or their teeth into a little bit more that they chose not to. You have a really interesting dynamic of Elastigirl going off on this mission and then Mr. Incredible staying home and trying to like navigate domestic world with this. Right. I almost wish, almost wish that the ultimate threat of the film had been more in the domestic world of like us, you know, them trying to solve something. I'm not talking about like, you know, social issues or whatever, but had, had been a little bit less 
on a yacht in the middle of the ocean as opposed yeah, to like yeah, in the yeah. neighborhood kind of thing. Like something's yeah. going on in the neighborhood. I would have liked it if like Mr. Incredible. Who are you going to call? <laughs> exactly. You're going to call Jack. <laughs> well, especially because. Zool. Here's the thing. Especially because Violet and Dash and Jack-Jack are so central to the, yes. you know, to, to the ultimate Which I resolution. Loved. Oh, yeah, yes. me too. I loved it too. But I thought how great would it have been if the conspiratorial thing were happening next door as opposed to that would have been yes, as opposed to on the yacht in the middle of the ocean. And I'm like, that yes. would have been cool because then Mr. Elastigirl's off fighting, taking care of all this kind of stuff. Yes. And then Mr. Incredible is so wrapped up in I've got to be a dad and I've got to figure all this out. And then Violet and Dash and then, you know, by default, Jack-Jack's stumble into this nefarious thing yes. happening next door i thought i that- really i really liked pixar's incredibles too i am pretty on board with reed's incredibles too. yeah that yes. that to me would have been a more interesting film and would have played off some different dynamics as it was what we get is a very fun really enjoyable but f- again this glut of superhero films it feels pretty standard the last third of the yes. film feels pretty standard yes. Is, is it enjoyable? Absolutely, it's enjoyable. It's eye-popping. You'll laugh quite a bit. It's fun, but ultimately... It's visually astounding. Oh, visually, I mean, it's, in, it's, it's incredible. It's, it is... It is... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, what's... <laughs> um, you know, what is... I mean, it's a Hitchcock block episode. It's a cock, you know, Hitchcock, you know... Uh, <laughs> it's cock, a cock what? cock of the walk you know it's a rooster you know that's that's the <laughs> yes. illusion i was making there yes. um yes incredibles too um uh, i will say something and but this is my struggle with incredibles too is i respect it very much on a technical level sure and i really course. i really wanted to respect it on an emotional sort of thematic level and it didn't quite get there it, it got there more emotionally than te- than um narrative than thematic um but it it it, it's more a technical feat of wizardry than sure yeah a a thematic feat of wizardry well let's Um, get real like even like good dinosaur and cars freaking two are technical wonderments like narratively or where those films struggle like visually with sure how they're pushing animation forward even in cars two which is you know unquestionably the weakest pixar installment even cars 2 like, i would actually give good dinosaur a run for cars 2's money but yes i know oh, what you're yeah, saying so, but yeah. um but at the same time like i rem- i do remember thinking while watching incredibles 2 the action set pieces were amazing they really were yeah, like the helicopter yeah. the, hel- the helicopter escape sequence was was just glorious to behold sure. visually yeah and in fact it, i had this weird feeling i don't know if you've seen this talking point with like mcu uh, who is kind of the ringleader of of the comic adaptations these days but this feeling that with cgi we can quote unquote do anything you know like we mm-hmm. can well we can put anything on screen dude you watch elastigirl on that motorcycle and i'm like no we really can't do anything this is doing anything <laughs> I mean, it, right right the fit the physics of the world is so perfectly realized yeah no, i know um and and i mean gosh the 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 interlude of jack jack and the raccoon are that scene is perfect that scene it is, is it the, really like, is jack jack and the raccoon is one of the most delightful moments in any <laughs> pixar film ever period i love that i accidentally did it and you picked up on this weird pronunciation of raccoon um it's kind of like portrait from last week you know, it's a, <laughs> raccoon. is it a, a, a raccoon a raccoon i think it's um, raccoon 
I always say I, raccoon. I know that, but I said inadvertently because of Fireball Whiskey, <laughs> raccoon. And then you picked up on it and you said raccoon as well. And I'm like, no, it's really not. It's like pecan or pecan. Um, but <laughs> pecan the work. point being, the, the point, the point being, I think you are absolutely correct. I think they indulged the desire to go bigger when they should have maybe steered more into the desire to go more intimate. Like, yeah, the, the, the yacht stuff visually works uh, and yeah for the story it's fine it steers us into more if i can use this word pedestrian superhero storytelling than i was wanting, yeah yeah um, no absolutely out, out of them yeah and i think uh, that's what because in, the first incredibles came out um marvel existed like the first iron man was 2000 i believe so marvel, marvel no sir it was 2008 oh was it oh, really that late yes Oh yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Because the first Spider-Man was two thousand. So, so superhero movies existed, but right, right, Marvel, right. you know, MCU was not here. So uh, the first Incredibles was two thousand four. So that's definitely you know before this glut of them, and it was very uh, fresh, and it was and it was really inventive. And I feel like it would have been fresh and inventive to do. Yeah, just something something a little bit different, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean that. Well, but I think I think what you're scratching at is is similar. To what I would say, Incredibles one, the heartbeat of that movie is the dynamic of this family and how it interacts with the world around them. Yeah, the ostensible heartbeat of Incredibles two is giving lip service to that idea, but it doesn't quite commit. Sure, and the and the way that the first one does, and anyway, ultimately, and yeah, tell uh, me, fi- maybe, maybe final comment because I know we need to move on, but like, and ultimately, we get a very similar thing that we got from the first film, which is the kids show up and the kids play a part, but mom and dad still play probably a bigger part in saving the day, and and that's what I was really excited about when I thought like, oh man, uh, mom and dad are under screensavers control right and right, so, right. And spoiler alerts for incredibles too but it's like oh they're they're under screensavers control so it's going to be up to the kids and i'm like this right. is, this yes. is going to be cool because now the kids have to do this but then ultimately that lasted for maybe 10 to 15 minutes and then right. it's your pretty standard fare and i'm like oh okay all right fine but again i did enjoy the movie we got i did enjoy it i liked it um i thought it's it, it's still very fun so and not to mention that wackadoo but ultimately pretty emotionally resonant short film on the front of it oh we won't gosh. get into that right now yeah. that, what wasn't that crazy oh my gosh when she yes when she uh, when she it, eats it uh, i was like what is happening <laughs> what are we watching there were physical i'm reactions. traumatized yeah there were yes, physical reactions yes. in my in my theater so um but nathan if uh yes if you're good then uh i'm good then i think that brings us to uh what you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? You know what I should have done instead of going for Incredibles? Is I should have. What you watching? What you reading? Listening to? What you reading? Listening to? What you watching? Wow! Wow! Yes! Do it again. What you watching? Reading? Listening? What you watching? Reading? Listening? What you watching? What you watching? Reading? Listening? What you watching? Reading? Listening? What's really wonderful is I record in this garage and I've got a storm door on this garage with the with the screen open. Mm-hmm. I mean, the screen is closed, but the but I've got a li- slight bit of air. I really don't know how loud I am. Um, and I don't know if I don't know if neighbors are like 
WTF, these new neighbors are weirdos. <laughs> what is happening? This guy is cackling like a crazy person. That is hysterical. Um, anyway, so yeah, Reed, thank you for the chicken dance. That's oh, yeah, you're beautiful you're and welcome. glorious. And that is, that is like if this, if this podcast did anything for me in my life, it was getting you to sing a random song <laughs> to the chicken dance tune. <laughs> and I'm appreciative. So we are jumping back in to our Hitchcock block of episodes with this week's um, aptly titled movie Rope. Yes. We're at the end of our rope. Uh, we Actually, are. we're at the beginning of it. <laughs> we are. And we're people may be wanting us to be at the end of it, but it'll be a few more minutes. It'll be a few more minutes before we get there. At this point, it's really funny. Like a year from now, perhaps it's going to be like three fourths stupid inanity ep- per episode with like one fourth, you know, 10 minutes content. at the end of like, right, right. Yeah, by oh, the way, we were supposed to wait a minute. rope here. So that, Oh yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we watched this other movie and we'll give that a few minutes, but yeah, <laughs> oh we talked gosh. about other that is stupid funny. crap, stupid <laughs> crap too. Um, so Reed, I'll start. I'll start the way you usually do towards me. Like, how many times have you seen Rope? Now, have you seen it before? Oh gosh, I know you've yes. seen it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one, well, I'll, um, I, I didn't mention it last week, but for most Hitchcock films, most of my favorites, you know, Psycho, Vertigo, Rope, uh, The Birds, Rear Window, North by Northwest, a lot of these films, I have seen them. Uh, maybe not into the double digits of times, but at least five or six times. Most of them. Last year. Um, specifically in 2017, I did a chronological rewatch of, and for some of them, it was my first time seeing them, all of Hitchcock's films, starting back with his early silence from his British period all the way up through his final film. So I watched all uh, 53 of his films. And so, you know, obviously I had seen Rope then. That was largely part of why I wanted us to do a series on Hitchcock through this time. Cause I stumbled across a few films through that rewatch that I was like, okay, but among my very favorites is, is uh, rope. What, what were you going to say? I just, I, I, I just had another idea for the title of the series. That's Hitchcock. A doodle do, you know, it just really came to me in the moment and I, I like it. It's like mixing chickens and Hitchcock and interesting. It's just this. It's just fantastic. Um, Hitchcock a doodle do. <laughs> See, it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it more like stumbles drunkenly out the front door. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, that's oh, funny. Man. But no, this was that's probably funny. my. Uh, I mean, I haven't I haven't totally kept track of this one, but it's probably my fifth or sixth time seeing Rope. I, I love this film. I love well, it. Unlike Vertigo, which I was a bit fuzzy on whether I'd seen before, though I was pretty confident I probably had, just could remember very little of. I had never seen Rope a Dope for <laughs> this uh, before this. Yeah, and um, I texted you pretty promptly after I finished it with the unequivocal statement of "I love this movie." Oh um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, I think if you want, we can traverse our kind of routine path to to get us towards more heavy stuff but sure in terms of pure just likes dislikes i'm a theater guy at heart and i just really loved i I had no idea what to expect of this movie sure you know sure i knew that i knew the title and that was literally it um i didn't know the the i had not read a summary i didn't know any sort of character interactions i just knew Oh, it's called Rope. It's by Alfred Hitchcock. So that's such a glorious experience. Just have this rolling re- revelation of of a piece of media. And 
I really adore the theatricality of this movie. It sure. is yeah. a single is a single location. It is attempting, though I know there's probably some some sleight of hand happening. It's attempting sort of single take type of yes. shooting. Um, there are only a, on that note. Yeah, yeah. The so getting into some of the technical specifics of it. Yes, the entire film is meant to create the illusion that it is all happening in a single take. Now, uh, at the time that it was being filmed, film reels could only last for about, I I forget if it's eight or 10 minutes. I believe it's 10 minutes. They could only last for 10 minutes. So every 10 minutes, they had to make a a sort of an intentional little dip behind either a piece of furniture or behind someone's back while they change the film reel in the camera and then rise right back up to the scene where it proceeds. But, But for the length of that reel of film, there are only... Aside from that necessary technical conceit, there are only two actual cuts in the film um, where Interesting. it, yeah, yeah, where it actually cuts to something else in the middle of a scene. Well, and I, I feel remiss, and we, we, I need to start making notes to make sure we do this. Um, if you have not seen Rope, it is it is a real simple tale, unlike Vertigo, which though robust in in themes, as we learned last week, um, it's uh, terribly complex. Yes. It's a pretty, pretty complex narrative. Rope is very direct. It's very straightforward. It begins with two kind of college post college age dudes killing a third, um, and stowing the third's body in this chest. Mm-hmm. They have invited other, uh, peers and acquaintances and friends inclusive of, the the dead guy's parents to a dinner party so the movie is begins with this murder it proceeds with a dinner party involving all these people and the sort of cat and mouse although actually that's probably a wrong phrase it's it's the attempts on the parts of the murderers to maintain some sense of composure in the middle of all this although they are willful murderers it is not like any sort of accidental nature to oh, it. It's utterly and premeditated. Yes, yes. And Jimmy Stewart is a character who has a relationship to these two guys previously as their professor from college. And he's one of the dinner party participants. Um, and it kind of is the story of how these guys, I mean, it's a morality tale. So it's about yes. how they ultimately get discovered, what happens to discover them, what happens in light of them being discovered. So it's a really cool I mean, to be frank, bit of theater that's mm-hmm. this that's this really simple story with these really high stakes kind of, um, you know, thematic elements at work. Um, so I, I personally, having never seen it, having no idea what to expect, kind of loved it on on, you know, ki- kind of. I would hesitate to say at the midpoint, I was like, I love this movie. But once the the gears really start clicking into place of like what the movie's after the conversation it's interested in and the methods by which it's presenting that conversation. I was just really kind of taken with it. So sure. It was, it was oh yeah. Really enjoyed it. And I feel like it's, it's really alarmingly accessible. I feel like for a mm-hmm. film that is, you know, yes. the, the, the only gimmick slash effect of the film is the conceit of it all sort of, taking place as a single take or trying to create the illusion that it's taking place as a single take. Um, other than that. And, and as a, as a random technical note, if you are a listener and you're curious about this movie and you're like, Oh, that sounds pretty good. It's also only like a, an hour and 20 minutes. It's pretty yes, short. It's very, brief. Um, very brief. It's an easy, it's, it's easy to watch and it's pretty compelling. So I, I would yeah. definitely recommend, but it's um, amazing. The watching of it. 
it's amazing how much suspense Hitchcock is able to wring out of essentially just dialogue. That's all it is. It's just yes. is just yes. dialogue. And and there's a couple of notes that I'm sure we'll 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 get into, but you mentioned the runtime. So the runtime is only 80 minutes long. But in the narrative of the film, in the fantastic in the fantasy narrative of the film, those events take place over 2 hours. Some reports I've read are like 100 minutes, but they but they take That's- place over 2 hours. That's and, weird. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah, and so like the sun sets at one point and and everything and based on like when they began versus when they end, then it takes place over 2 hours. Audience members in the theater viewing of it reported this weird sort of like time anomaly where they they felt like they had experienced 2 hours, but it was only an hour and 20 minutes and it was this weird sort of psychological thing. Yeah. But the thing that I think is is so compelling about the film is that it is at the same time that there is an active narrative taking place it's really about some pretty intense ideas that it's about how we talk about uh, like not just other people but just like how we talk about certain subjects what we joke about what we casually think and uh, and those thoughts and those feelings and those expressions coming out into action and the impact and the ripple effect it has and I, f- I find that to be incredibly compelling well don't don't jump too far down the theme well yet let's um sure you know you've got something like a vertigo which honestly the surface stuff i didn't love as much as the thematic stuff sure um and and again maybe a repeat viewing would yield stronger resonance with the surface stuff but um with this i kind of the your the surface stuff is the gateway to the thematic stuff sure. so i do right, want right, right, right. to spend some spend some time with some of that like reed i i uh, i love crisp good long scenes of dialogue oh like, yeah it is oh, yeah. it just I'm watching those scenes. I'm like, oh my god, this is so my style. Like, which which isn't to suggest I just enjoy watching people talking. Like, I enjoy a good writer putting good words sure. in good characters' mouths for extended periods of time. That yeah. is awesome to me. Um, and this is an outstanding script. It's an outstanding yes. script. It really is. And in fact, where is it? I wrote down one of my favorite lines from that i worry is me actually uh so uh for audience members for listeners who aren't going to watch the movie brandon and um philip are black philip brandon and black (laughs) philip are the young guys who murdered david i believe is the third part that is a witch reference Um, he is not a black man i'm just letting you know (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. i was making a witch reference yes um so uh, uh um Brandon and Philip killed David. Rupert is Jimmy Stewart. Yes. So at late in the movie, Brandon is needling Rupert. And this line, I just, I wrote it down immediately. I was like, he says, you, you often pick words for sound rather than meaning. Mm. And I was like, dad gummit. I think I do that, but meaning matters too. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the sound, of, the sound of words is great. Oh, um, so awesome. So yeah, I just really love the script of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I wrote is I love the script, the theatricality of it, the long takes, the single location, well-defined characters. I've got a long list of likes, dislikes. I can sure. Yeah. No, 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 want. go for it. Um, no, go for it. I love some of the framing on the shots. Like there's a great shot of Brandon when he goes into the kitchen. Oh, the I door love this swing- shot. 
Oh, the I door is swinging and you see him drop the rope. So, uh, again, if you're not watching it, the rope in question of the titular rope is what is the murder weapon. And Brandon, yeah. who is this very sanctimonious, uh, uh, self-indulgent, very confident um, guy who feels himself thematically above everyone else, this ubermensch type of character, is is really playing with fire for much of the film. But he hides the rope kind of in plain sight this murder weapon and so gets downright arrogant about it at one point like oh yeah wrapping but up he, the books with the, it yeah oh god that's great um there's a shot of him entering into a kitchen in the background and it's got one of those swinging doors and the door swings towards us and you see him in the background dropping the rope in this kitchen drawer and then it swings away from us just to close him off it's just this really lovely bit of framing a perfectly um, orchestrated like set up like the whole the whole thing oh. is just masterfully or- orchestrated yes yes um do you know who jiminy glick is yeah when I yeah yeah, yeah. the glick, right? the martin short character yeah yes mrs atwater reminded me the world <laughs> of jiminy glick i mean like the I'm more she say. talked i was like who I'm does that say. sound like <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm all saying yes well, that's actually Ed Grimley, but yes. Oh, yes. Martin okay, Short sorry. Yes. Jiminy, Jiminy Glick. Janine Carafala. Oh, yes. That's so, right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I'm getting my Martin He's, Short characters mixed up. That's all right. That's all right. Any it's, minute it's now, easy. I'm going to be busting He's, out uh, so old Ned Needlender. So, uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh, Martin Short. In a random aside, I've heard, but I've not watched yet and really want to. There's a Martin Short and Steve Martin special. Oh, I want to see that. on Netflix. Special. Um, okay. It's a special one-off thing. Anyway, so yes, Miss Atwater reminded me of Jiminy Glick. Um, <laughs> I love the single take shot until Philip yells. That's a lie. When he's talking yes! about yes! strangling the chickens. And then that's um, when it, that's one of the only two cuts. And, yes. then, and then it cuts right to Rupert's face. Oh God, I love that moment. That's such a great moment. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I may be misremembering here, but I think it's on Rupert pushing in against him as he's telling the story of, Philip strangling the chicken and and off screen you hear that's a lie and it cuts to Philip. Maybe I may no, be misremembering. No, you, okay, so okay, you are okay. misremembering just slightly. It's pushing in on Philip. And when it's pushing oh, in on okay. Philip and he said he bursts out that's but, a lie. And, and off it, screen Rupert is telling the story. Okay, okay. No, okay. no, no. Rupert's not telling to- it. Brandon's telling it. Brandon is telling the story about Philip strangling the chicken. Philip reacts okay. and says that's a lie. And when it says that's a lie, it's a quick cut to Rupert's reaction to Philip saying that's a lie, because that's the first thing in the narrative. That's the first thing that clues Rupert in that something's amiss because, because, and he later calls out, he was like, but that wasn't a lie like that. uh, Like that was what first clued him in was that that was not a lie. But um, Philip's reaction, his very bold reaction to it sort of clued Rupert in like, what's really going on here? And yeah. Oh man, that's a great moment. I love that moment so much. I've got other little bits and pieces here, but two, three, three main likes that remain of about, believe it or not, a dozen or so. I'll I'll skip over some of the more incidental ones, but I love. So uh, Brandon has a a maid, Mrs. Wilson. I love the shot, the long shot of her walking upstage Mm -hmm. to clear to clear the chest of its stuff. Oh, my gosh. And walking downstage into the kitchen to deposit the things and walking. I mean, it was just. It really it is stays like stays there forever. It, yeah. And, oh, and it's so great because in that moment, what's so wonderful about that is, and Hitchcock is good at this. He's in so many of his films. He is really good at this. You want them 
ultimately to be caught. Yes. You, they have done something heinous. You want them to get some degree of comeuppance. Yet, when she is piece by piece, very deliberately clearing off that chest, there's something, at least in me as the viewer, that rises up that's like, oh, don't open it. Don't open it. Not yeah, yet. Not yeah, yet. Yeah. And it's so brilliant because at the same time, it's like, yeah, you want this to come out, but maybe not here and maybe not that way. And and, right. and then it just lingers there while she, pieced, like you said, piece by piece, like takes off of the, the candelabras and then the place settings and then the tablecloth itself, all culminating in her just about to lower the books into the chest yeah, yeah. and lifts up the chest. And that's when they stop it. That's when the, they're the, you know, the very deftly sort of swoop in and it's like, Oh no, you know, do that, do that tomorrow. And it's like, Oh my gosh, it's great. It's a great. Moment. Well, and, and yes. And so that's one of three, the second one of three that I, I don't, I'd have, I'd have to work in the, in this immediate moment to think of another movie where I would apply this, but but I know there are others that feeling when you're watching a movie and you're like, I'm pretty on board with what you're doing. I'm picking up what you're putting down. And then a certain scene will happen and you're like, Oh snap. I am <laughs> so on board with this was the Rupert outlining the crime scene. Oh my gosh. When he's, when he comes back, like when they're, yeah, really caught. yes, yes, oh yes. Oh my gosh. It's so great. So, so listeners, the, the, the dinner party dissipates, Rupert, as he's leaving, you can tell it is just working him over. Like what? I know something's up. I don't know exactly what, but I know something's up. Brandon and Philip have this taut scene between the two of them. Brandon even threatens Philip because Brandon's, you know, sort of totally feeling empowered by all of this. Rupert returns. Let me pause you real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thought. What what finally puts the nail in it and what finally tells Rupert, yes, the they hat. have done this, yes. is the hat. And so he yes. sees the hat before he leaves and then, yeah, continue. That's well, that's actually on my scare list is Rupert's discovery of the hat. But the point is simply Ru the party has dissipated. Rupert returns mm -hmm. and he comes back under the guise of having misplaced his um, cigarette holder and plants it once he's back in order to fake find it. Sure. But he then, I think Brandon taunts him. He's like, if I were to have done this thing, you're now accusing me of how would I do it? And what then proceeds is Rupert telling how he would do it, which is really what they did more mm -hmm. or less. Mm -hmm. But the camera, again, the single take kind of thing starts panning the room with no characters in frame as he's off screen. telling. And I was like, all right. Yeah, this is pretty oh, it's awesome. So great. It's so a great, great. Yeah, it's a great sequence. Yeah. Um, my very last thing, I don't know if you're just enjoying me gush, but I am. No, um, I'm chiming in okay, when cool. I want to. This would possibly be keyed into some thematic things. I don't exactly know how, but it really struck me. Um, so uh, if you haven't seen the movie, Rupert comes back. He outlines what happens, of course, as naturally would occur in a movie like this, which is a morality play. A confrontation happens when he fully finds them out. The whole scene when he's doing the crime scene breakdown, Brandon has a gun in his pocket. Well, once he sort of once the gun, the proverbial checkoff gun enters the scene, there's a wrestling with it. And mm. this is where what? Oh, I love oh, I thought, it. No, I, I, love I thought it. you I thought you were like, no, you're wrong. Nathan. No, 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 um, no. I you love just, that. Scene. You do way too much. And we need to talk about it. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna have me I'm off kidding. strangling chickens okay every once in a while right. i'm gonna interrupt that's you. true that's true that's true that's true um 
this is what's interesting. This is a random jump in here. This is what's interesting about vertigo. So I did, I was reading about vertigo and how that sort of camera technique that happens when he's experiencing vertigo. Yes. The pull forward while panning yes, back. Yes. Yeah. Which, which gets used in jaws again in later years. But, um, I'm not, I'm not making this case, but there's an argument that could be made that has a, a smidgen of validity to it. Like, Oh, you made this movie in order to test out this new, this new camera technique. Mm-hmm. Um, rope what's beautiful about rope to me is it's all just expert framing Mm -hmm. it's just it is just knowing what a camera captures and how to use it yeah uh uh, against and for the viewer and that is specifically powerful in the scene where they're wrestling over the gun i don't know if you felt this or if it's been too many viewings but the, the camera pushes in while they're wrestling over this gun on the gun and the gun aims at the camera. And I had yeah. a read. I had a visceral response of like having to duck out. Oh, of my God. Yeah. Don't shoot. Don't shoot me. Yeah. I'm yeah. not with you, but maybe I'm with you. And maybe that's what you're after thematically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was a really great bit of just framing. And like, you know, there's there's always a conversation in, in sort of filmmaking about like figuring out how to get the viewer to look at what you want to look at. And then there's that, which is I am going to push in literally on the thing. There's action happening off screen around you, but the item I want you to focus on is this weapon. And now it is pointing at you and do with that thematically what you will. Oh my gosh. It's just a really great moment. Oh, I love it. No, I love that moment. I love that moment too, for how taut it is. There's no musical cue. It really there's no musical cue. If I'm recalling, there's no real musical cue in the entire film, except in the very beginning, like the, the sort of overture. Um, but in that there's no musical cue to sort of heighten the suspense. And as they're fumbling with it, it's, it, it is a very realistic fumble. It's not like, yes. Oh, we're going to hide the gun and sort of wrestle around with it. Like it's not like, it's not like Jimmy Stewart and come Novak kissing and vertigo. It's real. <laughs> it's, it's real. It's real. It's <laughs> Action real. happening. But no, like they, their hands are sort of, you know, gripping the gun in odd ways and trying to sort of turn it one way or another. And, and it's, Oh man, it's, it's so, yes, it's such a powerful moment. I mean, honestly, if I started down a path of likes, dislikes for this film, I would essentially be doing a fake commentary because nearly, nearly every scene has something either in dialogue or thematically or in the image you're seeing. I mean, I I think it is such a brilliantly expertly crafted film. Um, You mentioned earlier, I love the way you put it. And uh, because it was live, I wasn't able to write it down, but I wish I could just quote it. Listeners, you know, scan back and you'll hear it, but it's just, it's so the film is so attuned to this is what the camera sees and what it can do to the viewer by what it sees or how it can subvert what the viewer thinks with what it sees. And, That's why Hitchcock has the place in cinema history that he does is because he instinctively, innately or by experience understands that understands. Let me ask you something real quick. This is just this is just coming to me. Um, I know historically he has a reputation for appearing in his films. Has he been in any of the ones we've watched? Oh, yeah, he's been in all of them. Yeah, he's in he's he's in rope. He's in vertigo. He's in uh, shadow of a doubt. Where is he in rope? So so in rope in that very first that opening shot of the street scene he's trotting down the he's trotting down the street and that i don't I mean, remember that scene well to yeah me, because, the open, 
I may be remembering incorrectly, but to me, the very opening moment was the strangulation. Was that no? Not? See, that's the the opening moment okay. is a street view down, and then it slightly pans oh, into the balcony, okay. and then cuts to the strangulation. It's the the first of two cuts, and it cuts gotcha. to the strangulation after you hear the scream. But yeah, he's on the sidewalk, uh, trotting trotting down. That's interesting. I would need to rewatch because I am, I don't remember. I don't know if I, if something, if I inadvertently jumped a moment because I don't remember a street scene. I don't remember a scream. To me, the opening was to my, and I'm not arguing that it's no, real. I'm, yeah, no, but I'm sure. My, my memory is a literal, and in fact, it played with me the way the vertigo kissing did. I know I keep harping on that, but it, it felt so unreal that it took me out a little bit. The murder moment was so unreal. It took me about a minute to recover of like, okay, okay, this is not what you're after. That was a bit fabricate you know what i mean like sure visually, sure yeah it's such a sort of fake moment um but that's that's interesting to recognize that I, I, somehow i may have missed something there but anyway the point being he's in all of them that's cool i didn't yeah no he's in all of them and i would be i would be hard pressed to um remember offhand where he is in the other in in the other films we've seen that's okay but, that's all right but but yeah he uh but yeah he is in all of the films that we've watched so far in fact um i believe there's only in his entire catalog i believe there's only two or three films in which he does not appear and uh, including one film, well, uh, this, he's he's in this film. There's a film that takes place entirely on a lifeboat. It's called Lifeboat, but it takes place entirely on a lifeboat out in the middle of the ocean. And his cameo, because we probably won't cover this one, his cameo is in a newspaper ad that somebody holds up, and he's in That's the newspaper funny. ad. Yeah. I was hoping you were going to say he wears a shark fin and swims past <laughs> the lifeboat, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> the revisionist version. Um, but right, no, right. so so back to like my likes dislikes and stuff. He um, so yeah, th- this film is, I think it's one of those few films that works so seamlessly on all technical, narrative, thematic performance. Like everything about it just works. The film just just it is very cohesive and it all gels together so fluently and efficiently and effectively. Um, I love the moral compass at the center of it. Um, I love the, and this, you know, this is definitely tilting into themes, but I love that it indicts cavalier language, that it indicts ideas and jokes, but at the same time does not leave one with the impression that we can't joke or that we can't explore, you know, but, but it, but it leaves a very clear understanding. Uh, I'll save that for theme, but um, so. But I love. Uh, I, I I do love just everything about it. Every single time I get an excuse to watch this film, I get excited because it's it's brief. Where but- would you? What um, this? I don't mean to tip a hand uh, in a way that maybe you don't want to, but out of curiosity, where would you rank this for you on his films? Well, it's funny you should ask that because I have actually. <laughs> I have actually ranked. <laughs> I've actually ranked these. I have ranked of all you have. fifty-three makes, makes of his films, and so Rope lands at sixth for me. It is wow. the, okay. it is the sixth of fifty-three. Um, have we? Where is Vertigo? Vertigo is number one for me. Vertigo is really? yeah yeah. Vertigo is number one right. for me. I think Vertigo is is Hitchcock's best film. Where um, is Shadow of a Doubt? 
Shadow of a Doubt is fifth for me, slightly above Rope, but um, but Shadow of a Rear Window is third for me. So so we've seen films that are that are greater than in in my ranking of objective quality. We've seen films that I rank higher than Rope, but yeah, Rope is uh, is sixth for me. Um, now, if I were that's my objective ranking, like my objective assessment of the film. Um, if I were ranking them by my personal, it's not like the real. It's it, not like the real you. It's like wow. the. Wow. I'm putting on for the academics you. Well, I will say if I'm taking <laughs> off my academic hat, if I'm taking off my academic Please, hat. Please, we want the we want the real deal. We want the real lackey. So, okay, so no, if I'm taking off my academic hat, rope would probably be fourth. Rope would probably be fourth for me. Um <laughs> I love so, like you are the most beautifully precise person in the world. Oh. You're like, you know what? If I were to not look at this objectively, it would bump up two spots. You know, <laughs> if I were to take into account, uh, you know, emotionality and life experience. Yes. Um, if I were to take into account representation in his filmography, maybe it would be eighth. I don't know. But, <laughs> no, there's no, a lot no, of no. white people in there. Uh, Nathan, you, my, my good friend, have said to me more than once, but you've said to me very sincerely and specifically, is there anything that you have not thought to death? Reed? Yes. Like, is there yes, anything that yes. you have not just parsed out to pieces? Uh, right. And no, the answer is no. There is not anything that I have not parsed out to pieces. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so we'll go ahead and leave it at there. Rope is my sixth favorite Alfred Hitchcock film. So uh, Objectively speaking. Objectively fourth, speaking. If we're, take, if we're taking in to account your emotionality and psychology as a person for um <laughs> right 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 um yeah i dig it um i do actually think there are for me there were some scares in it not in the traditional jump type of framing but um this is a movie very much about ideas it is very much about linguistics it is much about semantics how we talk about what we talk about yes Yes. Uh, the first on my list of scares is just the quote, murder is a crime for most men, but a privilege for the few. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's a rough one. Yes, a privilege for the few. The next quote I wrote down, it's a half quote because it just happened in the moment, but men of intellectual and cultural superiority above traditional moral concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be to be real straightforward, if you're not going to watch this movie, it's there. He's a sociopath. It, it is someone who's like, yes. oh yes, you know, just 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 does not ha- has has unmoored his internal compass from any sort of what we might call traditional moral framework, right? Um, and is kind of just just flouting it. I put under scares. I already referenced this, but Rupert's discovery of David, the murder victim's hat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a oh, it's yeah. just a really great moment because I I think one of the things I love about this movie and and I'm positioning against Vertigo because it is so recent in the viewing and in our recording but like Vertigo you know like okay something's gonna turn I don't know what but it's gonna turn you know it's it's uh, somehow this is gonna reveal to not be something supernatural or blah 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 um, with this one you're like these guys are gonna get found out. The how is the fun. Sure. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that finally undo them. Right, 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 right. And so when, when Mrs. Wilson and, uh, bidding Rupert farewell goes to retrieve his coat and hat, hands him the wrong hat and is the murder victim's hat. And he sees the initials in it. You're like, Oh man, here we go. So great. We, we, we have, we have, we have reached the zenith of the roller coaster and now it's all sort of steering towards the downward slope. Yes. Um, so that's a great moment. 
one of the best lines in the movie for the for the scare factor is Brandon of Philip to Rupert once Rupert learns and sort of is revealing his 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 inclinations of what they've done Brandon says of Philip he and I have lived what you and I have talked. Yes. Oh my god. And I was gosh. like, oh my gosh. That is so is, chilling. It is. Yes. It is. And it, yes. and what's interesting about that actor, like you kind of hate him, mm. but he's pretty he's he's good. I mean, he's he, always he really, really yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And in fact, I'll I'll applaud the casting in general. Like everybody at that party feels pretty lived in. I mean, they're it's kind of broad. Miss Atwater's a very broad character. You know, but Brandon feels like a sociopath. Philip feels like the guy who got dragged into a thing he was not ready for. Sure, sure. Rupert and Jimmy Stewart feels like a very learned guy who is becoming, tipping my hat towards seems, increasingly aware and troubled by the effect his philosophies have had on the people who've received them. I mean, it's it's a pretty... It really is just kind of the total package, and I was really impressed with that. Yeah, I agree. Um, if I were to going to, I mean, most of my scares are actually more thematic. Uh, there are certain moments, but it's but it is the conceit of the film and the underlying moral compass of the film that tilts me into some of the things that unnerve me in in the sense that what human beings are capable of doing to one another, what they are capable of justifying. The justification for seeing someone as inferior to the degree that you would actively feel justified in taking their life for right. sport, like right. relatively for, for, you know, for no real grievance other than they don't deserve to live anymore. That that is terrifying. That is utterly terrifying. I think I mean if you're if you're good let's go ahead and and just dive right into dive right into that. Reed, theme. I'm good. So I'm good. <laughs> what I what I love so much about there's a there's man there's so many different places we could go. Um and I feel like every door we walk down is for others we're choosing not to walk down and that pains me. But um I I I will say there's I'll I'll lead with the first thing that struck my mind. When Rupert finally lifts up the case and finds David's body when he finally sees what he has known at that point for a while or suspected for a while, but he finally sees it come to full fruition. He says to him, and I, I wish I'd written this quote down. I didn't, but I'll summarize it uh, as, as deftly as I can, where he says, you've taken everything that I've spoken about for all these many years, and you've taken it to this horrific degree and he said, you've made me feel ashamed for everything that I, everything that I've said and thought and taught over these years. And then he said this, and I thought this was powerful. He said, and I thank you for that shame. I thank you for that shame because you've shown me, you know, what, what this really is, that, that this talk of superior and inferior beings. Um, and I just, I loved that moment so much because this moment where you come to your senses, and I'll say this take with this where you want listeners, but that moment when you realize that maybe there's no such thing as idle words, maybe there's no such thing as, as careless conversation. Maybe what you say matters and maybe how you say it matters. And maybe sometimes in, in what we 
converse about in the semantics of our thoughts and ideas, uh, maybe we should be mindful of what's underneath what we're saying and yes. and that words and meaning uh, may be more powerful. I mean, the scriptures say that life and death is in the power of the tongue. and wow. And we don't take that very seriously. We will spout off on social media or to our friends or to make all kinds of jokes and 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 I will say before I'm gonna I'm gonna be somewhat hypocritical for a moment because I do feel like I feel that meaning matters and I do feel that meaning matters that intent matters more than content. I philosophically yes. believe that. I believe that yes. intent matters more than content. And I do feel like a whole lot of content policing is happening without regard yes. for intent behind what is being said. Um, casting that conversation aside, content matters. What you say matters, how you say it matters, the language you use, the, the language you choose not to use, all of that very much matters. And very specifically, when you are, as Rupert does, when you're philosophizing about maybe, you know, Maybe we should just do away with some people. And it, it's staggering to me how when confronted with the ideas that he's propagated for God knows how long, it is it's staggering to me how he just embraces that shame. How he's just how he's just like Well, but it's it's it. it's fascinating. You I feel like you are unintentionally and 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 I want to back us up a little bit because the last thematic note I have on here I'm staring at right now says, I thank you for that shame. Mm. And I think that's mm -hmm. a really powerful thing to discuss. I feel like you are, you are incorporating it, but leapfrogging a little bit by getting to the shame, mm. because I think where I grew really. So, so the crime scene from on a technical level, I was already invested and intrigued. The crime scene play out moment happens with the camera panning around the room with people talking off screen. I was like, all right, this is pretty badass. <laughs> and then the movie does what I kind of needed it to do morally, which, which may be a fault of mine and how I was absorbing this, this content, but in, in absorbing this content, I was recognizing the intent and that's where I really fell in love with the, with the piece because you like how I just did that? You're welcome. I did, that's, yes. That's yes. from you. Thank you. Or I should say, th should say thank you. Um, <laughs> I adore that the movie was interested in what I wrote down the phrase of ideological accountability. Mm, yeah. And I think, I think, dude, we are in a, a, a flashpoint moment in our culture. You, you mentioned last week on Vertigo about where is the accusation towards culture itself? That's me paraphrasing and yeah, you yeah. feel, feel free to nuance that as needed, but no, that's, that's, that's it. But at the same time, what I struggle with in hearing that question mark or that question is, well, what does that mean? And who are we talking about? And, and I think the requirement of those of us as much in the faith community as outside of it is to really sift and look at what it is we're saying, mm -hmm. which will lead us to a an, an interrogation of what it is we're believing. But what it is we're saying and how far we're willing to go for what we say. Because the accountability is required. And this is something that's really been weighing on me. It's very topical. 
And so I don't want to spend a ton of time with it, but it is very reflective of this topic. I actually hate even saying the name out loud because I don't want to give this person any clicks. But have you heard of this guy, Jordan Peterson? Do you know who I'm talking about when I say this person? The, the name rings a bell, but I'm, I'm, I'm disconnected a lot lately, so I haven't, I haven't he's, heard of him. He's, he's a Canadian professor at the University of Toronto. And Reed, this is this is me, your friend, talking with no one else listening. Like, it's mm-hmm. about as insidious a personality as might exist in culture today. Interesting. Um, uh, second, somewhere in the ballpark in in the uh, rings of hell of perhaps our administration. I know I just lost you, listener. Um, <laughs> but but um, this guy, go go, you know, Google him if you want. There's a movement attached to his teachings, which is called Incel, I-N-C-E-L. Have you heard of this? No, gosh. Um, I, I feel so uninformed. I've been watching no, Hitchcock movies. Fine. And I, I wish I were not <laughs> reading <informed>. the news. <laughs> so Jordan Peterson is this professor at University of Toronto. He is one of these personalities. I'm trying to think of a decent analog you would know. But a lot of these sort of personas in the blogosphere which is not me diminishing him being a professor, but I'm saying like these persons who ostensibly are quote unquote Christian, but you did, you scratch a little bit beneath the surface of what they're sort of talking about and teaching. You're like, Oh my God, there's nothing Christ like whatsoever about Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Similar idea here. However, even more so is this guy preaches and teaches at an academic level an insidious, it's funny. I thought you were going to go here last week on Vertigo. Oh. He he teaches this insidious form of masculinity that is the height of complementarian. That's a church word, just meaning women are meant to be submissive to women. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Absolutely reverse that in his teaching. Uh, women are utterly and absolutely meant to be submissive to men. And that men without partners are a deficient form of society. Thus, women should ultimately and always submit a man without a woman is, uh, uh, you know, an, an aberrance in society. Are you Aber- serious? An, an, an aberration. Oh, I'm absolutely serious. Incel, I-N-C-E-L. I don't know that they would strictly link to Peterson or if he's just a, a one of several figureheads that are sort of the, the philosophical um, ideologue behind these folks. But incel, I-N-C-E-L, is short for involuntary celibacy. This is a real thing. Uh, if oh you gosh. noticed about a month ago, there was a, a vehicular homicide in uh, Canada. Um, there was I did a guy hear about that. Drove, drove a truck into a bunch of people, killed yeah, some people. Yeah. And in it, he yelled something about incel. There is a cult of ideology. And, uh, many of these are overlapping these days, but specifically this one is this incel movement, which is asinine depraved deluded men who are following this guy jordan peterson's philosophies about forced submission of women in society like just do some digging on this dude it will gosh it will rattle your soul that these people exist and are given any sort of platform. But I but I watched this movie and I thought about this dude because I was like this is what this is about. It's about ideological accountability. And and hear me, like people who have listened to this show for four episodes at this point know kind of how I feel about our president, but it's the same 
thing. It is someone who propagates an ideology that wants to distance themselves from the repercussions of those who adopt that ideology. Right, right. And the ramifications of where that ideology leads. Right, which is why I loved this movie, because Jimmy Stewart's character, Rupert, it takes a lot for anyone to feel shame these days, it feels. Mm -hmm. It takes that much more to express gratitude for it, Mm. which is why I think this movie is so impressive in its philosophy. Sure. Which is to, to, to call us to recognize this is... This is dovetailing back into where you were talking about semantics and whatnot. Right. To call us to recognize the need, the urgency about self-awareness of the ideologies we intentionally or inadvertently propagate. Sure. Right. And the requirement to be accountable to those. Mm -hmm. Like there are people who are, who would, who would claim a faith that we, that they would call Orthodox Christianity that I would say like, Oh my God, like you may have like 2% of the, the pie, the, you know, pie chart here. That's Orthodox Christianity, but look at all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Look at all this, look at all this other garbage that you are propagating out into the world as appropriate or acceptable that if someone were to ignore that 2% and take you at that 98%, Mm. You'd be like, well, that's not what I meant. That's not, oh, sorry, man. That's what you said. Right. And that's right. What, and that's what, that's what you implied. Right. You know? Um, well, and go ahead, uh, no, no, no. And, and, and I think that it is important, like what I said before, that it is, Im- I do feel like intent matters more than content. Yeah, um, we could kind of end an episode on that. Like, that's great. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I, I feel like what someone... See you guys. Thanks. <laughs> what someone was meaning matters, uh, I, I'll go ahead and say more, than what they were actually saying. That does not mean that what they are saying is given a free pass or cart, you know, it's given a blank check to be whatever detrimental or devastating thing that it is i think that all i would say is this way it is possible for someone to make a racist remark and not understand in the moment that they have made a racist remark sure i feel like if that happens their intent behind the comment needs to flavor the response to the content it doesn't mean absolve the content or don't you know don't right 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 right. but i think it is ineffective, unhelpful, and I would even go so far as to say wrong to simply categorize them as a racist. I think you need to then approach the language and say, hey, the way you're framing that has racial implications that I don't think you meant, and I need right, you to, right, to, right, right. to reframe that. Um, same thing in the gender conversation, same thing in the any sociopolitical conversation you want. Uh, I, I want to lean here for a second. So my problem is, so accountability really comes down to responsibility. You you have to take sure. responsibility for what you're putting out into the world. My issue is, I have a twofold issue. My issue with the people who would hold content accountable is too many times I don't think they consider intent when they do so. 
And so sure. that's my frustration with them. Uh, what I would call the the justice warriors or the Facebook warriors or whatever. I'm like, you are blatantly ignoring an implied intent and you're just focusing on the language and you are just focusing on what was said. And in your correction, you are not taking intent into account. And that frustrates me at the same time. There are people who will say atrocious things and lean so heavily on their intent that they don't think their content matters. And so they're like, well, no, that's not what I meant. You should hear what I mean and ignore what I'm what I'm actually saying, you know, ignore the language or give me a pass or something like that. I think both need to be balanced. And I think you need to take intent into account. Um, and when you're talking about ideological accountability, there are ideas out there that this is what frustrates me. But, you know, I'm. I'm a, a, a centrist, so this is this is kind of where this is home base for me. Is I'm going to say like, hey, these guys over here have a point, but by the way, when you're making your point, you sound like a racist bigot. So be careful because <laughs> you, you have a point, but but your language choice makes you sound like you don't care about people. So watch your language. You you guys over here. Uh, you're dismissing them as racist bigots or that they don't care about people when that's actually factually not true. So can we dig at the heart of what they're trying to say and let's correct the language while also validating or acknowledging, hey, you might be trying to do something really good here or might be trying to make a really good valid point. And I feel like that's where the discourse breaks down is is there someone will say, uh, they'll make a joke or a series of jokes or even an ideological experiment about how it might be okay to kill people. Then two knucklehead soci sociopathic psychopathic students go off and kill somebody based on those ideas. And then at that point, you have to be like, okay, so I need to stop that language. <laughs> I need to scale back from that language and I need to feel some regret I hate the phrase no regrets. I hate it because without without regrets, you don't learn anything. Without sure. regrets, you don't develop character. Without regrets, you don't look back on a thing and say, hey, I was wrong. And we all have been at some point or another. And I feel like in the era and age in which we live, nobody on social media or I think sometimes even in face-to-face -face conversations, nobody can look and say, hey, you know what? You haven't convinced me to come stand with you, but you have at least illuminated your perspective of things in a way that I can understand. And I can understand how you would arrive at said point. And that is the way healthy discourse, I believe, is supposed to, to take place. But the problem is, because we have no ideological accountability, people take the, the things that are said and just use them to justify an ocean of bodies and an ocean of destroyed lives and use them to justify all kinds of atrocities in in the world. And sometimes, this is the worst, and this is what I think you were sort of scratching at a few minutes ago, sometimes the worst of it is that they're now calling this godly, righteous, just, whole. They're calling it these things. And they are using scripture to validate it and using scripture to justify it and saying that, Hey, well, there's this one, you know, let's just yank scripture from all of its proper context and from all of its proper meaning and just apply it to this situation and allow ourselves right, to just right. justify whatever in the world we want to do. I'll, I'll make one last statement and then I'm going to take a breath that there's a, I do feel like, Sometimes you can get so caught up in the groundswell 
of ideas and language and rhetoric that there's an actual click that happens in your brain where you're no longer even critically thinking about your own ideas anymore. You are simply reciting and defending the language, the rhetoric, the platform, the whatever it is. You're no longer even thinking about what it is you're talking about in a critical and dissective fashion. You're simply regurgitating whatever it is that flows downstream. And if you reach that point to where you are just a mockingbird for whatever ideas have come downstream, uh, you are you are terribly dangerous. You are terribly, terribly dangerous. Um, your your invocation of mockingbird just made me think of chickens. So, you know. Just, just <laughs> exactly. Um, I was all way, over the place with that, but hopefully there was some goodness. That's okay. I mean, yeah. I just think that there's so little thoughtfulness yeah given to uh, the 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 it's it's pithy and it's and it's bumper stickery but a minute ago as you were talking this came to me as illuminated by your your talk and not because i was not thinking about what you were saying but i just thought like we dispense grace and we own shame like that is the position like you you give kind of the benefit of the doubt where it's necessary where it's called for and you just own where you realize your intent got misconstrued by the content. You sure. Know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I, we are so, yeah, please. What? No, 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 it's okay. It reminded me of something that I believe I've said on pod before. I believe I've said it on pod before. If I haven't, uh, you've said a lot of things, so it's, I possible. have we have 93 episodes, but, um, so, uh, the the phrase that we both sort of uh, despise, I think I have said this on pod before, is the love the sinner, hate the sin. And what I have heard expressed before and then regurgitated is that the more proper biblical position would actually be love the sinner, hate my sin. In other words, like what you're saying, dispense grace, own shame. Like, sure. Uh, in other words, I am going to express love, give love, show love. And then where sin enters into the picture, particularly where I am a participant in it, then I am going to own that, hold myself accountable for this, and uh, despise where I have enabled and propagated sinful tendencies, sinful language, sinful behaviors. But I think what's so fascinating to me right now, Reed, and why I love this movie, is the movie, like you asked last week, again, I'm reiterating this, about where you know where's the indictment of culture. I think what's fascinating about this movie is... In you, in that question, as far as this movie is related, Rupert is quote unquote the culture, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like the influential factors that promote us to certain actions. Yes. yes. As far as the isolation of this movie is concerned, Rupert represents that. He is He's the, the inciter. Yes. Yes. And and <clears throat> what I love and I think is really impressive about this movie is it in is the is the ending because mm-hmm. he indicts all of them. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's all three that's of effective, them. That's effectively what happens is he says, I, I thank you for that shame. Mm-hmm. I am now going to alert whatever moral authority exists to bring us all under its jurisdiction. Yeah. He even says it's not what I'm going to do. It's what society's going to do to you. And and the movie ends with this um, awesome shot of kind of a, a medium view of the room they've been in the whole time with his back to the camera, holding this gun waiting yes. for the authorities to arrive. And I guess what, and this is, this is 
the breadcrumbs are leading me back to my um, purge conversation about, you know, we're just not good. And I think that there's such a disconnect that is that has occurred and is occurring. And if we are meant to be reconcilers, we have to bridge this gap is the distance between our words and their effect. Mm-hmm. You know, we, cause we can argue about content and intent all day long, which I actually think is a really great thought, but I think where we're really falling short and falling short is actually a generous way to look at it where I really think we are failing. We are birthing hell on earth is the distance between the words we say and the effect those words have. Right. Yes. And it's all over, man. And it is, it is top down, Mm -hmm. you know, whether no one will accuse me of liking this president, whether it's there, whether it's our pulpits often, not, I'm not making a blanket statement, right? But our, our pulpits, the, the words and the volatility and the aggressiveness of our words and the distance between those words and their hostility and the grace we are called to dispense. Right, right. Like there is such a chasm that I think such a great good work would be accomplished by so many of us. One, more precisely choosing our words. Mm. But two, expressing internal and to God gratitude for the shame that comes from the recognition of the despair our words can cause. Yes. Because I I read some article in the last six months and it's, it's basic headline and idea haunted me was, are we living in a post shame world? Oh yes. I've heard this. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and I think read like if, if the cookie cutter version of progressive faith is anything, it's sort of the notion of you bring hell or you, foster heaven wherever you are. And I think we are as close to bringing hell on earth as we can be when we are, when we embrace the notion of a post shame world. Sure. Yeah. Where we can no longer be chastened by the Mm. effect of our language. Right. Right. Where we no longer accept the ramifications of the words and actions we exercise. Right. And I just, I don't know, like, I, I feel like I'm drifting far afield, but the point is, I think this movie does such a great job because, because once you start recognizing these guys are acting on this, cause you learn Rupert's name, I believe before Jimmy Stewart actually enters the movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. Once you recognize it's kind of our hero, quote unquote, you also realize he's not a hero. Right, right. He's going to become the protagonist who sort of solves the quote-unquote problem, Mm -hmm. except that he also caused the problem. Exactly. Hitchcock's relationship with... So we've now covered probably the three Jimmy Stewart-Alfred Hitchcock collaborations that we will do. He he made four films with Alfred Hitchcock, but we, we probably will not have an episode on The Man Who Knew Too Much. So we've covered Vertigo, we've covered Rear Window, and we've covered Rope. The three of them together is doing, uh, so a side note, and then I'm going to piggyback into what you were just saying. The side note is that in each of them, he, he is kind of an anti-hero moment. Because in Rear Window, he's, do, he's, he's, like, he's correct, 
but he's not right. We talked about that on our rear window episode in vertigo. You know, he's not a good person. Go back last week and listen to that. If you didn't hear that, you'll, you'll hear sort of the, the thing. And then here in the same way that he is our hero, he is also the source of the problem, the cause of the problem, the influencer to it. But in talking about what you're specifically saying about, you know, us not being mindful of the effect that our words have, it makes me think, and I originally had a kind of a different scripture verse, but um, in Matthew chapter 15, they were talking to, they were indicting the disciples, Pharisees and legalist thinkers were indicting the disciples for eating something that they weren't supposed to, and they said they were going to be defiled. And so in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 17, I'll read a few verses here. It says, uh, Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But verse 18 says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile him. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And I think this is a really important thing for us to remember. Basically, Jesus is saying it's it's what comes out of you that defiles you, not what goes in. Now, he's talking about food, but I think that would even apply sure. to influences. It's not what comes in. It's what comes out that defiles Whew, you. We can still watch scary movies, huh? <laughs> That's right. That's right. But The fear of God know, will continue for at least uh, episode 100. Exactly. So... It is, it is what comes out of you, out, what comes out of your mouth, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Scripture says elsewhere. It's what's in your heart that then comes out of your mouth, and that is what will, like you phrased earlier, that is what will either invoke heaven or hell. It will foster heaven or hell in the world and the climate around you. You will further spread the kingdom or you will further spread destruction and devastation. And I think that we have to be mindful and we have to be accountable to what we say, what we mean when we say it, and how we're saying what we mean. All of those things. We have to be accountable to them. And if that means that occasionally we have to feel a little bit of shame, maybe we could even feel a moment's gratitude for that. Maybe we can use that and fuel that to say... Maybe this is an opportunity for me to learn something. Maybe this is an opportunity for for something better to emerge from this. Well, and I think this is a random coda to throw on here, but like this, you just made me think of this. Like, I think in addition to our owning, you know, the the accountability of our own words, I think we do show grace to the people who are learning to be accountable to their own words. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We should, um, absolutely we you know, should. And, and that, that as you and I have talked about, I think primarily more off pod than on, but in this increasingly polarized time and hear me, like I, I actually, the cynical part of me is worried that this is happening less than I want it to, or think it should be. But the, the one wrong move, the one wrong statement should not condemn the person we we mm-hmm. we need to we need to be gracious and 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 recognize not everyone is at the same on the same version uh, is on the same script um, sure yeah of course you know and, and it's it's i think it's just this push and pull i th- i think you know the other quote i wrote down that is is a good sort of segue towards some sort of closure um is rupert to brandon once i think he begins i think this is the part where he starts kind of lashing out once he recognizes why they're doing what they're doing 
and he says a man should stand by his words mm. mm-hmm. and i just think that's that's we we are we are terrible at that yeah Gen- in a broad sense you know i do think i i would give you and i a lot of credit on these points but in in a broad sense we are really bad at standing by our words because if we I'll put it this way. There are a lot of people who say a lot of things that I think if they were to stand by those words, I'd say you're probably more a propagator of hell than you are a fosterer of heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. because oh, of yeah. the volatility, because of the animosity, because of the otherism yeah. that is so prevailing. You've said elsewhere uh, on another episode. It's one of those things where if you you've said of people like what you're describing if you mean that we have a real problem sure yeah and it's it just gets that simple if you mean what you're saying we have a very real problem and before people if people cannot recognize that uh then yeah we're we're in trouble we're in trouble here (laughs) he reckoned the poet reckoned (laughs) um it's it's one of those things where i do feel like until we get very serious about the power of our words, but even more so than that, the power of the ideas that fuel those words. If we don't get real serious about that, then we we are we're going to fall apart. We're going to fall apart internally, and that's going to manifest itself externally. Hmm. Man, ropes a downer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that. I know you're being joking. No, I'm being. Bit, I'm um, being glib. Yeah. I think it's it's actually quite encouraging. Uh, it, it has a very strict and encouraging moral center to it. Absolutely. Uh, that, that is pretty fascinating that we could stand to really take to heart right oh, now. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. And if you have, and so listeners, if you have not seen this film, uh, we have spoiled, you know, quite a bit of it. I think we could. I, I think Nathan and I could perform this film on an episode and it would still be worth your watching. Like it is, <laughs> it is so exceptionally well-made. It is so exceptionally crafted. Uh, script is fantastic. Performance is fantastic. Camera work framing is fantastic and brilliant. It is uh, it is a wonderful film. If you have not seen it, please seek it out um, and watch it because it is, it, it is. I, I said, you know, like, oh man, ropes it down. That was a joke. It is a powerfully affecting film and it will make you think, and it is um, it is hopefully indicting. I, I, I'm, I don't mean that, hey, I hope it indicts you. I mean, it indicts you in a way that will... Uh, bend you uh, towards hope. Yeah. Yes, yeah. bend you towards hope rather than cast you into despair, and, uh, and I, uh, I, I love that for it. Um, unless you had anything else burning to say, I think that's a good moment for us to, to bring in old... Uh, our our old version of uh old Rupert S. Pumpkins uh to uh I'm just gonna start seeing how I can misappropriate his name you know yeah yeah David yeah S. Pumpkins into Rupert he, S. Pumpkins or something um, as long as as long as you stand by your words that's true care, you know? so uh, as we cover every film when we cover a film we do so in a metric of David S. Pumpkins uh, specific to fear of God we measure style scares and substance and so for rope. For the Alfred Hitchcock-directed rope, Nathan, what will you give style? Five. No question. Five for me. I mean, we've gone on for hour about how brilliantly crafted it is. Five for me as well. Now, for me, scares is hard because 
thematically and ideologically, I think there's some real shivers to be had, but it, it's not a nightmarish film. That's not its intention. That's not what it's driving for. So I'm going to ding it down a bit, um, but still giving it some credibility for those themes and stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to land at a three for scares. Uh, I can respect that. I was actually considering a three and a half, which I will stick with because for the very same reasons, I, I mean, I do think like, you know, those, the, the script is so tight and crisp and, the the thematic elements as exhibited in the script like murder is a crime for most men a privilege for the few like these mm-hmm. guys these guys are acting out this philosophy and this worldview which to me is extremely resonant 50 years later in the world we live in about people who are adopting malevolent malicious worldviews it has a lot of resonance but i will stick with the three and a half because again there aren't really like jumps per se right right of course of course and I think we could say our substance meter at the same time. Ready? Three, two, one, five. Six. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, like this is, uh, this is a hands down five substance meter for me. Uh, I'm sure it is for yeah. you. I mean, there's just, yes, there's so five. much, so much to this film worth talking about, worth, worth exploring. Uh, it's a, it's a brilliant piece. So ladies and gentlemen, in our, you know, this, this little duet of Hitchcock blocks we're talking about, um, we give rope on the David S. Pumpkins meter a nine on the fear of God scale. That is fantastic. I'm with it. I'm digging it. I love it. Vertigo was what? An eight? Was Vertigo an eight or an eight and a half? Vertigo was an eight and a half. Yeah. <sighs> I, yes. That's the, I'm all right. This is fun. Reese, this, is, this is a great pair of episodes. I love it. I love the fear of God. Uh, if, <laughs> if, if you do too, go subscribe and write a review. Um, as we say on every episode, the fear of God, y'all, is the beginning of wisdom. It is. Sometimes I wish it were the end of the conversation because I like to turn my brain off occasionally, but I am thankful that it does not end when our conversation on this podcast ends. Come join us in the Facebook group. Tell us about your experience of the movie Rope. Uh, tell us about your enjoyment or lack thereof of the podcast episode. We will quickly boot, boot you from the group. Um, just so we know, so we know how to handle who's present. Um, thank you so much. We are rounding the corner, rounding the bend, bringing it home, coming up on episode 100. It's going to be exciting. We're going to have a foil embossed cover next month. Um, you know, it's going to be good times. Read anything left for the people. No, just check us out on social media, see where we're headed next. Vote for Monster Mash. Don't forget to vote for Monster Mash, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye, everybody. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. Visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or to post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the official episode posts. Email us at FearOfGodPodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week.